Are adventure and relaxation on your mind? Jump in the car and head to Fauquier County, Virginia this weekend. Just a short drive from D.C. off I-66 and nestled in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Fauquier County has it all, including picturesque hiking trails, Rappahannock River access, plus over 25 wineries, breweries, and cideries. Visit the many unique shops and farm-to-table restaurants of Fauquier County's towns and villages, or take in the many historical attractions suitable for all ages. Check out visitfauquiercounty.com. That's visit, F-A-U-Q-U-I-E-R.com. Fauquier County. Find what you love. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 13, Episode 112. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Monday, Steelers Nation. Hopefully everyone had a fun and, and, and safe and healthy Easter weekend. Dave, how you doing? Last night I went down the rabbit hole of re-watching old drafts. I turned on the 1998 NFL draft. Did you guys know that Andre Wadsworth and Curtis Enos were the next big thing? What happened to those guys? It's, just a, re- it's a reminder that the NFL draft is uh, full of surprises. Uh, speaking of rabbit holes, did the uh, Easter Bunny come see you over at your mom's house and put put you out a nice basket and all? <laughs> Not that, but I got a home-cooked <laughs> meal, and my favorite food is the one that I don't have to prepare. So ah, I'm very happy. What did you eat? Just a traditional ham. Uh, my mom makes really good sweet potatoes with like marshmallow in them. So oh, that's okay. really good. But just the, the typical Easter fix. And your dinner looked really good. You look like you were on the, the, the five star Ritz over there. Yeah, yeah. My wife took care of me, had a nice ribeye and some potatoes and all. And first ribeye I've had in several weeks, uh, obviously trying to uh, watch a little bit of what I eat. But I mean, hey, it's Easter, right? And Master's weekend and uh, just uh, just a nice weekend overall. So hope everybody listening had a uh, pleasant uh, uh, weekend as well, too. We got a few things to talk about this morning. And plus, the uh, it's a uh, uh, monumental day as the annual Alex Kazora What They Look For studies have uh, started. And I, I don't know about the rest of uh, people listening, but it, it, uh, I really look forward to those. Yeah, you're definitely the Todd Haley gift personified when it comes to the uh, what they look for study this year, obviously could be a bit complicated by you know, the partial new regime of Omar Khan and Andy White, but we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Dave, we'll start off with uh, on a more somber and serious note here. Yesterday, April 9th, was the one-year anniversary of Dwayne Haskins' death after being struck by a dump truck trying to cross a Florida highway. And as that, we were kind of mourning and remembering Dwayne Haskins late last night, initially tweeted by Ryan Clark. He said something to the effect of a a civil suit and press release will be announced uh, sometime soon regarding new information, new allegations over Haskins' death. That suit has been filed today, and so has the press release. Um, And I'll I'll pull up and just maybe read a a partial bit of the actual press release. We're just getting this information before we jumped on uh, the podcast here. I'm trying to find exactly what might be the best uh, place here, but uh, it says in quote, many questions remain as to why the truck driver did not avoid hitting Dwayne, given the high visible activity in the area before the impact and the fact that uh, the other drivers did not hit Dwayne Uh, went on to to later say um, in here, quote, 
It is believed that Dwayne was targeted and drugged as part of a blackmail and robbery conspiracy. In fact, his highly expensive watch was stolen from him shortly before his death, end quote. And so uh, we're just getting this information in. I have not seen the actual lawsuit uh, information and, and copy. They're just the press release. Uh, obviously, very serious uh, allegations here that you know we can't speculate to uh, all that much. But that is the ward. A civil lawsuit has been or has been or will soon be filed uh, in re- relation to Dwayne Haskins' death. Yeah, going to be interesting to read the the finer details of that man. Uh, kind of bizarre. The way at least the press release, you know, is 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 written up, and you know, it, it's hard to, as you mentioned, it's hard to speculate about anything related to this. But it's not going to stop people from doing it, uh, obviously. And you know, uh, here we are. One, I, I I don't know. I guess there's limitations about when when these things have to be filed, right? Within a year or something like that. Uh, Potentially, if it's a civil or something like that, I, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, but uh, uh, much to my parents, probably uh, <laughs> disappointment. But uh, uh, going to be interesting to watch play it out. And you know, it's bad enough that you know yesterday was was the year anniversary of his death, and you know, you, you obviously that that not you know that that needed to be mentioned, and 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 you know uh, was worth you know kind of not reviewing, but just putting out there that it was, you know, the actual time event, you know, anniversary of it and all. And then now you have this come out the day after, you know, the day after that, it's just, it, it, it just feels bizarre is the best word I, I have for it right now. Yeah, it certainly was unexpected news. And again, we can't, we don't know what information they may have in terms of the uh, the law firm representing, um, you know, Haskins family. At least I presume that's, you know, who's who's kind of, you know, pushing forward the, the, the lawsuit here. Um, so it's impossible for us to say, you know, the veracity of these claims and what exactly they know that we don't. And that information, I assume, will eventually come to light here in this civil suit. I believe the suit is against the driver, but I'm not 100% sure who the actual um, you know, person or, or group they're going after here, or if they're just trying to obtain more records, more information, I'm not quite sure. Um, again, maybe that information will come out whenever the civil suit is maybe officially uh, filed and we get eyes on that. So as, as you said, Dave, it's hard to comment on these things. I want to be very careful with um, how we word it and just how we approach it because we just don't know what we don't know right now. But obviously things are, uh, you know, serious allegations. Um, you know, frankly, it, it may be difficult to try to prove it. But again, I don't know what information they have that may um, you know, be kind of a, a a big bombshell in this case. Yeah, I wonder how many of uh, the teammates that were down there training with them will be subpoenaed and you know that kind of stuff. There, so once again, you know, not not the kind of thing that you're going to wake up to uh, on on a Monday morning after Easter, right? Uh, especially the day after the the, the one year anniversary of his passing. But here here we are. Yeah, and we'll keep you posted. Um, if more information comes to light, I assume we'll be talking about this periodically as this lawsuit moves through. Obviously, you know, court systems, even civil suits, can take quite a long time to process, and um, maybe it may be you know quite some time until this is resolved. But we want to pass that information along because it was, um, you know, surprising and obviously really important news that that's coming across here. Right. All right, Dave, make the transition here to the football world and some Easter Sunday news around the AFC North. Odo Beckham Jr., who I was pretty convinced was going to become a New York Jet, even when I was reading the tweet uh, announcing where he was signing, I was kind of filling in Jet in my own head until I read the whole thing. 
He's not going to New York. He's going to Baltimore with the Ravens, a one-year deal worth up to $18 million. There are some incentives there, but the bulk of this is, you know, signing bonus and, you know, basically, you know, real guaranteed money. And so Odo Beckham Jr. back in the AFC North. $15 million guaranteed, uh, supposedly. Uh, I don't. I mean, you would think that the way it, 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 it being a one-year deal or, or assumed to be a one-year deal. Now, there are uh, – they don't have a lot of cap room uh, to play with in Baltimore. And Im- immediately after seeing the numbers of it and then double-checking the NFLPA database and all like that, uh, they, don't, they don't have – uh, the cap space for that. Now, obviously there, there might be some restructures that they could have done or cuttings or whatnot. But first thing that ran through my head was, uh, there is going to be some void years, uh, uh, tacked on with this thing here to help lower his 2023 cap hit. And Josina Anderson later on in the day, uh, uh, confirmed that. So I would suspect that they added four voidable years on this to make that cap hit uh, for Odell Beckham Jr. in 2023, as low as possible, probably uh, uh, less than four million, even when it comes to that. But uh, I mean, we're talking about a guy that 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 did not play a down of football last last season, right? And mm-hmm. uh, played with two teams, obviously in 2021, the Browns, and of course uh, uh, the Rams, and and you know tore up his knee in the Super Bowl and. You know, that kind of thing. And he's 30 years old now, will be 31, I think, in in November. Just looking at this on the surf- surface and look, he's he's a talented receiver and 30 years old, obviously isn't, you know, ancient, but it is up to me. I, I you know, long story short, I I think they're gonna regret this signing, but you know, we'll see. And and uh, let the record show that they do need some wide receiver talent uh, over there. I just wonder, you know, if this is if this is an overpay. If you brought him in for even half that money, uh, it looks a lot better, I think. But man, fifteen million—it sounds like guaranteed—and uh, you're having to use the void years, which is more than likely going to create some dead money for you instantly in 2024. Uh, this, t- it just doesn't look great on paper. So, uh, it, it seems very unraven like if you ask me. Yeah, that's a good way to frame it. Unraven, like typically not that super splashy free agency move that grabs all the headlines. But it sounds like that, you know, what happened was Odell last night was supposed to go to New York to visit the Jets. And I'm betting there was a good chance he was going to ink a contract. And if you sit down, talk to that guy for a couple hours, the two sides have been in contact that the uh, owner meetings, uh, the Jets, I believe, were at the workout that that Beckham held uh, also during the owner meetings. And so I think the Ravens said, we got one chance to get this guy. It's basically right now before he gets on a flight and lands, um, you know, with, with the Jets brass. And so we got to really, you know, overpay to make sure this guy stays. My next question, bouncing off of that, is: Does the fact that Beckham Jr. signed in Baltimore does that increase or kind of lock in the odds that Lamar Jackson becomes a Raven? Because if I'm Odell Beckham Jr., I'm not going to sign in Baltimore unless I have some sort of really strong feeling, bordering on a guarantee that Lamar Jackson is going to be my quarterback. And I'm not catching passes from Tyler Huntley or some rookie come week one. Pro bowler Tyler Huntley. Pro bowler. How could I forget? <laughs> I hate that they 
<laughs> I had I had a terrible take a couple weeks ago. I don't think you should get Pro Bowl recognition in terms of like your player page and your bio if you're an alternate. It should only be for the actual first ballot Pro Bowl guys. Yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, and look, guys, uh, later last night, you know, on Instagram, on Lamar Jackson's Instagram page, you know, those two obviously have had had a, had a conversation. Mm-hmm. According to that, uh, you would think that yeah, he. Uh, uh, he's pretty confident that Lamar Jackson's going to be playing for the Baltimore Ravens in in in, in 2023. Uh, I think I stated right from the the you know the start that my gut you know and look how many times do you see franchise tag players end up you know in in, in another uniform and look we've we've right. gone uh, we've gone far enough into the time process right now that you would think if he was going to get an offer sheet from another team, he'd have one. So now to me, it, it, be, it becomes a matter of, uh, will they actually, you know, will he play under the tag? Because you have until, what is it? The middle of July, right? Where tag mm-hmm. players have to sign a new deal. And if not, they have to play under the tag. So it'll be right. interesting. Uh you know, to, to watch the timeline between now and then. And obviously you can go back to what happened with Le'Veon Bell and all, you know, that, 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 that sort of thing there. But I, I just, my, my gut all along tells me that they're going to work, work, work something out here. Same. Yeah. And, and to be clear, we both have been in the camp that we think Lamar would be a Raven, but I think obviously this signing would, would further that and it'd be quiet. Some of the choppy waters based on, you know, the comments that, I think the Costa made last week about, you know, we're going to look quarterbacks in the draft when asked about the Lamar situation. That was the whole kind of, you know, firestorm over that. And so I think this just kind of takes it from, you know, 90% likelihood that Lamar stays to like 98% likelihood that Lamar mm-hmm. stays a Raven. Yeah, I would agree there. And look, when when this news came across, I didn't go, oh, crap, this is bad news for the, for <laughs> yeah. the, for the Steelers, you know? In fact, a, a little wry smile a little bit, you know? <laughs> uh, because, I mean, I, 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 you agree, right? This is kind of, it feels unraven-like, this sort of move, especially with the, and I know why they had to use the voidable years, because they've got Lamar, you know, uh, uh, tying up so much cap space for them, but man, and, and and you know this is obviously a team that has had wide receiver issues in the past. It 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 does feel like kind of like like you stated there. We got to do something. He's about to sign to the Jets. We don't really have you know we don't know what we're going to get in the draft. We got a Matt. It wasn't Rashad Bate, Bateman kind of miffed mm-hmm. uh, not too long ago uh, that that he's not totally happy. Uh, it does feel like a kind of a desperate move on the part of the Ravens, and we'll. We'll obviously see how it how it plays out. I mean, you got a guy that hasn't played in the NFL since 2021. And once again, when we're talking about a talented guy in Odell Beckham Jr., but father time is undefeated. And, you know, look, the way his exit was in Cleveland. And now he does kind of re it is a reunification with Todd Munkin, right? Because weren't those two together in Cleveland? I think for a year, right? Munkin was right. DOC. I want to say I don't remember the whole timeline, but yeah, I mean, yeah, he could be an impact player to a degree. But I mean, as you said, you know, I saw the news. I was eating my Easter ham, and I went, "Well, back to the ham." Like that's yeah, kind of how you I didn't put like, the fork down or anything. Yeah, did you? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't choke on my food or anything okay. like that. And, and, and probably another reason why the price tag is so high is because this receiver class is not that impressive in the draft. That's why Chase Claypool 
went for such a pretty penny because teams were mapping out for agency and you know the, the upcoming draft class and realizing it's not going to be that strong. I think Jim Nagy had a tweet. We have an article on the site that says only potentially one receiver will get taken in the first round later this month in Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State. Um, other guys, including Jordan Addison, not guaranteed, but could slip into the second round. So when you're dealing with a weaker draft class without the real top heavy talent um, and obviously for agency at this point, it's already dried up. It really creates that demand of the price tag is going to go up. True or false, the Ravens will draft a receiver with one of their first two selections. Still true. I, I don't think Beckham's going to change that so dramatically. And Bateman's a, a really good player, but has you know been injured his first two years. Um, but yeah, somebody asked me the question on Twitter this morning. Does Odell signing in Baltimore uh, really you know increase the, the need for Pittsburgh to draft a corner at 17? And the answer is definitely no. Um, you're, if you draft a corner at 17, that's for Jamar Chase, not for Odell Beckham Jr. <laughs> there you go. You're right. So, um, yeah, that, that's the news there. But it is something to note. And, and as you said, I mean, Odell can still make a player, too, but you know, not somebody that's keeping either of us uh, up late at night. So that's the news on the Baltimore Ravens. We'll bring it well, back. I guess Mike Tomlin would do that yawning again, yeah. right? Uh, Even more so. He'd probably be yeah. falling asleep like at this point. Because right. like back then, Odell was you know still a pretty talented player. Today, it's like, well, yeah, you can fall asleep. Now, of course, if uh, Od- o- Odell goes off on the Steelers in the first <laughs> meeting, people will clip this portion out of the podcast, I'm sure, and have it saved. But, I mean, look, uh, you know, they, our, our job is kind of look at look at things the way they are and kind of speculate from there. So I'm not, I'm not, I, I still don't feel overly worried about it. Yeah. Same here. All right. They bring it back to Pittsburgh, Alex Highsmith. I know you had talked about this um, already a bit, but you had a post yesterday on Highsmith to kind of expand on what you talked about that there, uh, there uh, on the podcast now. Yeah. People don't like talking about calf. I have found over the, over the course of the last year that people don't really care too much about the difference between cap and cash, or at least not as much as I do. <laughs> well, to be fair, or or, or, any, or anywhere close, but uh, you know, I've I've kind of talked about, or, or I have talked about, and 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 written about, you know, cash spending and uh, related to the CBA several weeks ago, and I I finally got back around to you know, I've, we are, we just recently talked about the contract projection that I had uh, for Alex Highsmith based on. You know the what I feel the market is for him and how I think that 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 will happen. Uh, I finally got around to writing about uh, why specifically. You know, p- people were saying you know, someone in that contract post that I did on Alex Heisman said, you know, uh, why I think you want to know why I think there's a high prob- probability of of, of Heisman being. Uh, signed this offseason. Well, first and foremost, the Steelers like to keep good players, but uh, that's that's not good enough of a reason. When you look at their cash spending overall, and the fortunate thing here right now is we are in the third year of the three-year cycle with the CBA, where teams at the end of this three-year cycle have to have had spent have to have had spent uh, 90%, at least 90% of the total cap total for the three years in cash. Uh, And look, the Steelers entered 
this offseason already in good shape in relation to it. It's not like they were running into issues, especially the way the current 53, the top 53 salaries are on the team after this initial rush of free agency here. It's not like the Steelers were in, in any situation where, oh man, how are they going to, yeah, in other words, they're going to meet the threshold of the 90% cash versus cap total very easily, regardless of what they do with Highsmith here. But I do think that as a whole, when you look at what the Steelers' plan is and really what team, you know, teams around the league in general, they are strongly encouraged to spend. The league has to spend 100% of the cap in cash, uh, I, I, I think is what it stipulates there. But individually, individually teams have to at least spend 90% of the cap in cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, when you look at where the Steelers are right now in their, their top 53, and then you look ahead at the draft class and what they're going to spend in cash there with signing bonuses. When you look at the cash outlay that's coming for the practice squad when you look at what they're probably planning on spending in cash in 2023 in the way of IR uh you know IR and 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 practice squad elevations you can boil this thing down to and I did this in the post that it looks like They've still got another, where is it specifically? Another roughly around 16 million, 16 to 17 million dollars in cash that they could spend to get them to right at around 100% of the three year total in cap in cash. And if indeed that's the case, that this team is looking to spend 100%. And if indeed 16 to 17 million more in cash is the outlook, (laughs) uh, a contract for Alex Highsmith fits perfectly within there, especially the Mm -hmm. way that I laid it out there in the contract proposal that I had for Alex Highsmith, I think last week there, where a first year take for him in 2023, his new first year take would be like 16.5. Two five million dollars, and he's already on the books right now for what is it? You know, two point seven nine or two point nine seven? Forget two point seven four three million. So you're talking about taking that cash outlay for him from two point seven four three up to sixteen point two five. You know, thirteen. What is it? Hair over thirteen million. That still gives you another couple million dollars to play with in cash that you could use on a guy, I don't know, like Bud Dupree for a signing bonus there or or however else you want to spend it. But I think I proved my point in this post of why I believe that there's a high probability that the Steelers get Alex High or why the plan is to get Alex Highsmith signed to a contract extension later this summer and why specifically I think the first year cash outlay of such a deal will be somewhere between 16 to 18 million. So can you just in summary 
this move would get them to 100% of cash? Is that what you're saying? It would get them close. Fairly close to it, right? Where are they, and, where are they at? Where are they at if they didn't do the deal? Like, where would they, would they be above that ninety percent floor? I assume that. Oh yeah, would. look, I mean, if they did nothing right now uh, with with Alex Highsmith uh, for the three year span, they're 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 well over the ninety percent mark. Okay, gotcha. But um, I my theory is is that their 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 plan is to spend right around as close to hundred percent of the three-year cap total in cash. Have they done that in the past? Is there anything you look towards in past? That's the historical problem with this Mm -hmm. uh, is because I just started now looking at this and and having the luxury of the two previous years cash totals versus what the – you know – I'm lucky in the fact that I'm starting to pay more attention in this now mm-hmm. uh, because of, you know, if this was year two, it would make it a little bit more difficult to gauge, but we're in year three and I am under the assumption that they are going to try to do their part as one of the 32 teams to spend as close to a hundred percent of the three year cap total in cash. So that's that's why it's a good year for me to pay more attention to it this time around. Now, when we get to next year being the first year of the new three-year CBA cycle, it's going to be a lot harder to predict other than thinking that more than likely they're going to want to at least be around a 90% mm-hmm. uh, number there. But once again, you know, maybe they they keep low spending in year one, try to make it up a little bit more in year two, like they did this time around. And then you have the whole COVID thing involved as well, too. Sure. You know? Sure. Uh, and, and how much did that impact this last three year cycle? So I guess what I'm saying is I'm, I'm fortunate that, that this is year three. And then now I'm going to have to use this next three three-year cycle as a study versus the last three years. However, comma, when we get to the third year of this next three-year cycle, I okay. should have a pretty good idea of predicting what they're going to do in cash cash spending. Right, based off of this current three-year cycle. I didn't know if you had looked back at, at, at old three-year cycles from 2017 to 2019, whatever it was, and, and been able to compare if this is kind of, this seems more of a new well, uh, when, 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 when did the new three year, you know, when, when was the new CBA agreed to though? That's a good point too, which was, uh, 2020, wasn't it 2020? Right. It was 2020. Yeah. So this is the first three year cycle of okay. that Fair when point. it comes to the 90% rule of, of that. That wasn't in the old CBA. That wasn't the 90% rule in the old one. Uh, I don't think, uh, I'll have to look back. I mean, there were, there were spending rules, but the reasons they got changed is because players thought that, that, that teams weren't doing, sure. doing the job of spending the cash and uh, uh, related to the cap. Okay. I just couldn't remember when that was instituted because I think there's been, there's been a spending floors for a while, I think, but I just don't know what those numbers were. Right. All right. So good information. And again, we'll, we'll wait this summer and see how it looks. And obviously, you where, know, where would you push back on what I have done? Well, I don't really have the expertise or the knowledge or the research that you do with these numbers. So I really can't. I, I guess what I would say twofold, A, 
if the team's already at 90% and they met that that floor obligation, there really is no there, there's no nothing that says they need to be close to 100 percent individually. Uh, other, than, other than teams, and you would think that the Steelers would be doing their part in a three-year span to spend 100 percent of the cap in cash. Yeah, but I don't think they're going to assign a guy to an extension to do their part for the goodness of, of Roger Goodell in the NFL. They'll do a deal if the numbers make sense. True. But within that, though, uh, look, they're, they're not going to go over just to get the deal done. But if they right. can work it into, you know, a 100% model, look, there's no guarantee any deal gets done, right? Because uh, there's no full guarantee because he might be asking for the moon. There's 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 guarantees, obviously, and 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 team guarantees that the Steelers try to stick to if if you're not Minka Fitzpatrick or or, 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 or TJ White. So there are factors involved that could prevent this deal to get done. I'm just looking at the big picture of them trying to stay within you know, a certain window. And I would, I view the Steelers as a franchise that probably has it laid out that if at all possible, we're trying, we're going to try to do our part of spending a hundred percent of, 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 of the cap in cash in a three year period as, sure. as, as are all teams, you know, that should be the goal. Right. And Pittsburgh, you know, they want to be aggressive. They want to draft, develop, retain. So that's certainly it's a I think it's going to be a priority for them to want to resign high. So the, the, the second fold of that two full point was, was what you had just said. You know, obviously it, it takes two to tango and Highsmith has to, to have a deal that works. And I'm sure he'll negotiate his camp well in good faith. But you never know if a deal can get done based on their demands. And could the market get reset with some sort of, you know, who always drafted in that? I know we talked about this um, last week, but who was part of that draft class that might get an extension now were there any besides bosa um any any pass rushers in that in that draft chase yeah Young, I, I didn't he's look been back. hurt i i didn't look back it it, it this the fifth year option year for chase i mean uh yeah i mean obviously you know some teams might try to get the extension done ahead of the fifth year option and i don't know about other names from before yeah i'm not from that 2020 class i'm not seeing in terms of the top here any any top pass rushers that are like due to get paid right big bucks here so that may help kind of stabilize the market for a guy like alex highsmith but again still takes two to tango and let's just say hypothetically that he really wants that second year fully guaranteed the way that Watt minka did right or wrong you know that could be a sticking point that um could cause some issue with the deal i think once again and we talked about this in the contract uh, proposal that 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 uh, that i put together for him uh if there are guarantees past the first year they're not going to be full guarantees i don't think i i think they would be uh, injury and skill related uh, as to a portion of either the second year roster bonus or uh, the second year base salary. Sure. I'm with you, but you know, I'm sure they're going to ask for it to start. You know, if you're his camp, might as well ask for it and shoot for the moon or shoot for the stars and try to land on the moon. It's probably going to be their approach. I just think when you look at the big picture of, of the way I presented it there, it's, it, it uh, I think it's more than just a coincidence that, you know, first year cash total rise for uh, for uh, Alex Highsmith fits almost perfectly in into that number. Yeah, no, I think I think it's it's a really good way to look at it. I you know time will tell you know how true that ends up being, but I would not be surprised if that's exactly the way that it's been laid out by Pittsburgh and the way it ultimately plays out later this summer. And look, I, hopefully, I did a good enough job in that post to explain the difference between cash and cap. 
because uh, if you give a guy a signing bonus this year, uh, let's say, let's take Larry Joby for example, uh, even though his cap number obviously is a lot lower in, 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 in 2023, whatever that, whatever he earns in the way of a base salary or roster bonus or, or signing bonus given to him in 2023, that counts as a cash total for that particular year. Right. Even though from a cap perspective, the signing bonus, for example, is spread out over the length of the contract. Correct. So that's where a lot of people uh, get hung up. Uh, Cash and cap are not the same. Right. And that's a pretty important difference. Um, it, it It gets talked about occasionally, but not often because there isn't a lot of knowledge about the difference and the importance between the two. But it is an important thing to look at, especially in regards to that 90% floor over that three-year span. Right. And that's why that post is not very good, not going to be very popular. And that's why this portion of the podcast is not going <laughs> to be very popular, but it's the very nerdy type things that I like to do. And if I can uh, create predictive uh, aspects out of it, I'm going to do it. We're nothing if not thorough around here. That is the Steelers Depot motto. All right. Uh, something a little less thoroughly thought, I believe, is this, um, we'll call it rampant speculation that I think is really just nonsense to me. But this all stems from an athletic article from like about a week ago, and it's kind of been batted back up in the air occasionally. This was an article from Mike Sando, where NFL executives, uh, anonymous, of course, would would rate and rank and recap uh, each team's offseason. And generally speaking, Pittsburgh got high marks for you know, stability, and I think one GM or one executive, I should say, said, this team made no mistakes. And then at some point in that article, there was, you know, discussion about this team bringing in Isaac Saymalu and Nate Herbig. And some wasn't even a quote, but just written in the article that some, you know, I guess had the idea, what is this team going to do with James Daniels? Could they try to trade him? Does do these signings um, say anything negative about Daniels play? And now that's turned into report says James Daniels might get traded, which is not what it said at all. Um, it was just their own idle speculation. So to me, it's much ado about nothing. But I know you, you had an article on it over the weekend that kind of explains why this seems like, generally speaking, foolish nonsense. Yeah. And look, I, I, I like Mike. Sand- I think Mike Sando over the years has done a great job. And I, I do believe that he does have contacts around the league and, and NFL executives and all like that. But uh uh, and then, you know, the the article that we're referring to on The Athletic is not just about the Steelers. There's like blur, there's blurbs from 32 other teams of kind of, I guess, what mm-hmm. he's hearing when it comes to uh, these executives around the league, who obviously I don't think are, are, you know, no one's named in there for obvious reasons. But uh, specifically, he wrote in there. Adding two guards raised questions about the future of 2002 offseason edition James Daniels, who is scheduled to earn $8.25 million in salary. Daniels could remain at right guard with Sayamalo at left guard and Herbig as a swing player, period. Some wondered if Daniels could be traded or released. Could center be his best position? Uh, some wondered, is that, One wondered, is that two executives wondered? Uh, It's it's very vague and leave it to the internet to to, to run with it. So, you know, on Saturday, I was looking for something to write for, and there seemed to be a lot of people kind of discussing this 
tr- trying to treat it as a report, which obviously is it. Right. Uh, I mean, this is this to me. My takeaway is that you know, in summa- summation, that what Sando wrote shouldn't be considered any more than speculation at this point from whoever he talked to. And I think when you you know move forward, th- there's several reasons to think that this a released seriously i mean uh, <laughs> you know unless this guy is a locker room cancer which there's no evidence that that he is he's not he's you not. know uh on or off the field uh there's zero reason to speculate that 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 he might be released uh as as, as far as him being potentially traded i mean we're talking about one of the team's top two offensive linemen last season you're talking about a guy that I mean, how, when's the last time that the Steelers signed a guy in early and free agent to a, to any kind of a sizable contract? Uh, and then a year later, uh, turned him loose, you know, what, what was Steven Nelson? Uh, was was how, how, I mean, that was part of the COVID, you know, cap crunch too. So that was kind of some special, right. was what, two, two years in Pittsburgh or just, was it just one year? Uh, no, it was two, two years before he got cut. Right. So, I mean, e- even he, you know, his situation, uh, it, there's just nothing, you know, and it's not like James Daniels is, is, is killing you against the cap. You know, you look at his average yearly value of, of 8.3 or whatever, three, 8.8, 3, It's not overwhelming uh, based on his play. And just considering the overall quality of the player that we're talking about here, uh, the, uh, the cap savings achieved via a cut or a trade don't seem that significant overall. Uh, so with that, you know, Daniels would likely need to be dealt for, you know, at least a third round draft pick, uh, for the Steelers to achieve really any value in parting ways with him. And then once again, in doing so, you're kind of cutting off your nose despite your face because you're diminishing, you know, the overall quality of the room. And then you're 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 putting yourself in a position where you're going to rely heavily, probably on a draft pick at that point. And the guard class overall, and this you know when you look at this class, isn't great. Uh, there's just nothing here to kind of justify strong speculation that he might be traded. So, you know, look, you don't. I've learned over the years not to speak in absolutes. Mm-hmm when it comes to this kind of stuff, but as close as I can get to not doing that, I'll be absolutely stunned if James Daniels is, is traded here, uh, in, in, in the next couple of weeks. And, uh, look, uh, there, there is a guard in that room that I could see being traded and it's not James Daniels, it's Kevin Dotson. Uh, but it, none of this makes any sense. And it, you know, I, I I'd be interested to, 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 and we'll never find out, but find out who, who these actual, actual executives are that Sando supposedly spoke to that think that James Daniels could be cut or traded. I appreciate you laying out all the reasons why those things won't happen with Daniels. He won't get cut. He won't get traded. Frankly, though, I don't know if they deserve the breath. I mean, it just, he's not, it's not going to happen. I, I think what you're seeing there in the athletic was just idle speculation. Those guys, executives talking out loud, just kind of going through the moves, just in the way that they think about those types of things. But there was no report. There was no 
we're hearing that he's going to get traded, that we're fielding calls. There's none of that. And so to me, it's it's much ado about nothing. It's uh, the epitome of the offseason where uh, there's not always a lot to write about. And so people are trying to take a very small part of a, uh, a story and, and turn this into a big headline news for clicks. Um, and, and I think well, it was I was actually accused in the comments of this being clickbait. And here was my title addressing speculation that Steelers OG James Daniels might get traded or released. Is right. that and then no, it's not clickbait at all. That I think that's literally as straightforward as it gets. Um, we didn't, you know, some people would say that there was a report he was getting traded, and and, and that to me is cer- certainly more clickbait. And of course, in the post as you're laying out here, you're refuting why this is not a thing not going to happen but yeah to me it's all just much ado about nothing wasted uh you know energy overall because he's going to be a pittsburgh Steeler next year he's going to be a starter you know where exactly may is that going to be right guard center left guard there's a conversation you can have about that but he'll be a Steeler. he'll be starting come week one and the reason i did write about it because it was a saturday and this thing started to grow legs all of a right. sudden because of this quote so you know i figured it'd be worth uh uh punching holes into yeah, that's what we do. I mean, I'm, I'm glad to kind of, you know, push back on that narrative because, yeah, it was, it was just weird to see so many other outside places write about this in a, in a very serious way as in, oh, my goodness, there have been reports that he might get traded or he might get cut or he's fallen out of favor. And it's just oh, you no, mean that like, wasn't like, like, the, like the Steelers trading for Hunter Renfro. Yeah, like that. I mean, again, this is just <laughs> this is just offseason fodder. Um, I, I thought there, it, the, the more frustrating part was in that athletic article. There were more interesting things said about the Steelers with quotes and about their offseason plans and the way they've gone about their business that we wrote about days ago before we saw that Daniels comment. And, and we decided not to even mention that or, or barely mention that and have the headline of that article be about the other stuff that was said by executives. But you know how this thing goes. One small comment gets amplified, turned into a bigger story, and uh, all of a sudden it's a thing. All right. We try to be as responsible as we can with these things. Yeah, but I, I frankly just think it's nonsense. I think it's blown way out of proportion and um, just just downright silly. Okay, next topic. All right, next on the list is our favorite, our first What They Look For study. Ooh. And so I wanted to start that off on this Monday, and I didn't know what position to begin with. I went cornerback, though, just given the high probability this team will A, draft a cornerback and draft one uh, highly, and also hope Pittsburgh you know, Pittsburgh has not drafted a true cornerback in the last three years, unless you count Trey Norwood, and I consider him more of a safety. And so it's been a pretty long drought on that position, but that also means our criteria did not change. And I understand there's the caveat of Omar Khan, Andy Weidel, you know, new scouting staff. You, know, you can't guarantee the, the past history for where they're going to be at towards the future. But all we can do is work off the numbers that we have. Of course, Mike Tomlin, Art Rooney II still... Uh, the big decision makers, they have not changed. And so for now, we're going to keep our numbers the same. But using uh, benchmarks basically on, on height, weight, arm length, 40 time, kind of the cutoff, the, the the criteria needed two players from this year's class who were at the combine. I'm only going off of guys who were actually at Indy. Otherwise, I spend eternity trying to find every single potential quarterback prospect. But of combine invite quarterbacks who checked every single box, there are two. One is Julius Brents from Kansas State. The other, Corey Trice from Purdue. And so those were the two. Pittsburgh showed interest in Brents, brought in for a pre-draft visit, top 40 type player. Trice viewed as kind of more of a sleeper, but I think, you know, later-ish round guy. I think he could sneak in a day two, but maybe a, a day three type of guy. But Brents and Trice, 
the two guys who checked every box. Uh, I have not watched Trice yet. Uh, have you watched? How much of him have you watched? I put on some tape last night because I'm going to do a profile on him. I'm, I think, one just one game in. Um, long, lean, press corner, a bit grabby, tight hip. I thought I thought he was more tight hip than some of the agility drills that he went through. Suggest he will tackle. He will come up and support the run. Um, uses that length well. But, yeah, just grabby and I think a little tight. Okay. Uh the unfortunate thing here, and I had a feeling we're going to start running into this more and more that we talk about, you know, after the combine and all, uh, these guys not doing these short shuttle and three cone times. Sure. Sure. Is disappointing because they're there, you know, because then you stated at the bottom of this, uh, uh, at the bottom of this post, if you're wondering several top prospects, you know, on, on, you know, like Christian Gonzalez, Joey Porter mm-hmm. Jr. And Deontay Banks, aren't listed there because none of them participated in the short shuttle or three cone, even at their pro days, you know? Right. Yeah. I'm expanding this to use pro day, which I typically was wary of in the past, but because like no one, almost no one does the, the, the uh, shuttle drills at the combine. I'm even using pro days now, but yeah, Gonzalez, Porter, Banks, Ringo, those are actually Ringo did participate, uh, but the other three did not do it. And so they just don't make it because of that lack of testing. They check every other box though. Right. So when it comes to the Steelers, you know, Omar Khan, especially when you talk about uh, wide receivers specifically, he's been asked a couple of times and saying, well, we're not going to, you know, I'm not going to reveal totally what, what we look for, but you would think of some, you know, some of that's metric related, right? I think like every team and probably even more so in the post COVID era, they're going to have some more of those uh, analytics and benchmarks. Yeah. I mean, teams will have, you know, basically if you're, you know, below a certain mark in a category, you're considered a historical outlier and uh, you may be off a board. Now, for some teams, that's more pronounced than others. And some teams, you know, the Colts, for example, love those big, long corners. The same with Seattle. Um, I don't know if Pittsburgh has so clearly a type over the yard running back. They like the really big power, you know, 5'10", 220 plus pound backs. And so um, it can vary from team to team. But yeah, our, our goal here is just tr- to try to find benchmarks and minimums and cutoffs and see who fits best based off that criteria. Do you think they have some sort of a number on, uh, you know, three cone and short shuttle on some of these guys? It's hard to say for for sure. Um, It it seems like their three cone and shuttle metrics from what I've been able to gather aren't that um, what's the word? Uh, the, the standard is not super high. Even the guys that make some of the three cone times, they're not even historically all that good. They're just kind of like below average. And so there may be a number. I don't know if it's just hard and fast where they have eight different boxes and you have to hit every single box. I don't think that's the case, but I'm just trying to use some historical right. data here, especially given the continuity of what Colbert and Tomlin had to try to, you know, have some better predictive power for their future picks. Well, look, I mean, uh, the the these posts that you do over time have held water. Yeah, and sometimes guys circle back like LaRaven right. Clark was on my will look for a list when he came out and all of a sudden he's a stealer. So yeah, these things kind of, you know, it's it's not 100% obviously, but sometimes they're they're cool to look at. Is there anything uh I guess it's hard to say do you think any because so many of these top ones did not make the cut because they didn't you know do a couple of the drills there? But of the ones that check the boxes outside of the three cone and the short shuttle, 
I guess what I'm getting is it's it's going to be somebody off this list. Well, if if you had to if you had to bet again because you see, those Key, top guys, I, 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 it's not surprising that KY uh, Blue Kelly showed up on there. I don't think. Yeah, he just he barely missed in the three cone by a couple, I think, hundredths of a second. And so, um, you know, he was very close. Riley Moss, they had a pretty dinner with him. He actually missed in length. He actually hit the three cone and the short shuttle, um, but just wasn't quite long enough. Um, you look at Terrell Smith in Minnesota. I think Tom Mead likes him. I, I can't say for sure that one of these guys off the list will become a stealer just because you have your Gonzalez's and Porter's and Banks and um, those names that, you know, just didn't didn't qualify for, for consideration, um, but just something to look at and just kind of how we're starting. Was Trice the most surprising one to show up on this? Yeah, I think so, just because he's not considered that that top name corner, but he's a big, you know, again, a little bit lean, but he's got that size. And, you know, generally speaking, if you're a, a real, you know, RAS score kind of guy like Brents and Trice, you're going to make the list because mm-hmm. your testing is so off the charts. But that's one name that we haven't talked about too much. I think he could be a sneaky candidate, again, in vogue in that, in that big, long press corner. I think he is physical. Um, you know, he's kind of one year production guy, but. Um, yeah, I, the tape that I've seen so far, and I'm still working through his report, you know, I, I can see the allure there. And really, we don't have any data as far as nickel guys to go off of, right? Yeah, I mean, the nickel guys are all part of that pile. Um, and, and, and one issue with this is because I'm looking at cornerbacks broadly and not splitting them up into nickel versus outside due to sample size issues. And so generally, this team is drafted more outside corner than slot guys. Um, but you know, some of these guys could potentially kick inside. I don't know about, uh, you know, Riley Moss, if he could try to play inside the next level. Um, so some of these guys might have some versatility. And of course I'm looking at one of the comments in here on the post film over tape measures. Well, that's not the gist of what we're trying to do here. We can do both. We understand film is very, very important, uh, without a doubt, but, uh, it's just, you know, it's like me with the, with the cash in the cap, trying to find, anything that we can tie predictive measures to. Yeah. It's not either or it's yes. And we're doing both. There are times we look at tape times. You look at numbers. We try to put them together. Um, Yeah. Unfortunately, the comments on this have basically been that and the Steelers sucker cornerbacks. Hopefully they do something different. So that's kind of been the theme of the response to this, but, but that's okay. But yeah, we love tape. Listen, I have no profile today from a guy from Carroll college, NAIA Carroll college today. So if anyone's a question of, I love watching tape, I was watching, you know, College of Idaho versus Carroll College over the weekend. So I think Roll I'm, I'm pretty well versed. Oh, no, no. <laughs> no, no, not even they're not even the Vandals. This is College of Idaho, not even Idaho University. This Roll is like potatoes. Rolled, you know, minor potatoes. So yeah, that 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 is how I spent my weekend. So I love the tape as much as anybody. Don't you let these people discourage you, Alex? <laughs> Thank you, Dave. I needed that pep talk today. But that is a study. Uh, what, what position? You're good enough. You... You're smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like don't you. Don't need no man. That's how. That's how <laughs> I am. Um, what uh, what position do you think uh we should do next? If you had to, if you what would I was, what would you be most interested in after cornerback? Tackle the tackles. I'm trying to I got to get back through because the sample size numbers have been historically tough because they just have not drafted money tackles. So I have to go back through that, those numbers. Uh, but I would love to do tackles. I want to do tackles because we know they're going to very likely to draft a tackle. Is there any position that you're not going to do? Uh, not quarterback. Quarterback has a sample size issue, but not quarterback. Uh, that might be the only one. I'll try to get okay. through the rest of them. Um you know, I'll have to go back through and check them. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate that. I always look Thank forward you. to this because look, I mean, once again, uh, and, and the, 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 the Raven Clark signing is the most recent 
uh, of this. And it seems like every off season uh, we end up pointing out once or twice uh, previous post related to these studies here. So they, they, they do hold water, maybe not so much uh, in the now as much as they might in the future. Yeah. We'll just have to, to wait and see. And again, under Omar Khan, Andy Wino, could things shift? Sure. And we'll keep an eye on it. And that's the, uh, the intrigue and kind of the, the little bit of the darkness of the, the new draft season that we're all in right now. So Dave, anything else, anything else you want to talk about that we did not uh, touch upon? What do you think about, uh, Jim Nagy coming out and what he said about the, the why I know we sort of hit on that a little bit, but uh, what do you think about him saying uh, one thing has become clear on calls around the league past couple weeks, NFL isn't nearly as high on this year's wide receiver class as the media frequently seeing four to five wideouts in mocks have spoken to numerous teams that have only one first round grade at the position. That guy is Jackson Smith in Jigba. Yeah, I think it's fair. Um, I think, you know, generally draft fans are spoiled by really good receiver classes because typically they are pretty strong at the top. And this year just is one of those exception years where you don't have that. And some people still want to put receivers in that top of the class when it's probably less than earned. And so, you know, we'll have to see. Maybe some guys go late round one. There's a Flowers, there's Jordan Addison, there's Quentin Johnston, there is Smith and Jigba, as you and Nagy mentioned. But I think overall it is not a there's some depth in this receiver class. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's top heavy. I think there's a lot of slot receiver type of guys like Addison, like Flowers, who can be good players, can be productive players. But to me, one of my draft philosophies is if you're drafting a wide receiver in the first round, your offense has to run through him. He has to be your number one type of guy that's going to really be this high volume, high impact kind of guy, not somebody who's going to catch, you know, 70 passes for you know, 970 yards and five touchdowns, even if he's going to be a good role niche player, that's just not going to justify first round pick. You want that really high end guy. That's going to be a a top receiver. You can go off for 150 yards in a game. So um, I I don't know how many of those guys exist in this class. Right. I would agree with you there, but in, in, you know, uh, when it comes to the Steelers specifically, uh, it does play more in, 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 in line with this team, being able to get a, you know, probably a decent quality player in the middle rounds. Yeah, I think I think there's depth in this class. I think this team's looking at some of those slot receiver types, and I think a guy like Jonathan Mingo is going to go a bit higher than people think. But we're, look, we've talked about uh, Jaden Reed and maybe Charlie Jones from Purdue, and I think Josh Downs is going to be you know second round pick. But I'm a big fan of his game. So again, this this receiver room, receiver class has depth. It just is not. It's not that freaky top level guy. It's going to be a top 15 pick. It's just not. All right. Uh, to, to, before we get to some uh, emails here, I wrote about four Steelers whose immediate futures could be impacted by draft results. Uh, what did you think about the list of four, which include Akella Witherspoon, Kevin Dotson, Montravius Adams, and Gunnar Olszewski? Yeah, I think you're right on the nose with all those names. I know you mentioned that Witherspoon is kind of the number one guy who might be looking over his shoulder because, A, we can basically rubber stamp this team drafting a cornerback and drafting one early, and he's got the biggest salary against him uh, of the four that you mentioned. And so now you saying that in the they could get cut shortly after the draft, like a, a John Bostick kind of thing, or just in terms of their week one roster spot being less and less secure? I'm saying that if you were to build a list of four players that could uh, see contract terminations, 
not long after the draft, these four need to be on that list. Do I think okay. all four of these are going to be out the door uh, after the draft? No, sure. uh, I don't. But uh, I think Akella Witherspoon leads the list as far as probability goes. When it comes to possible players that could have their contracts terminated not long after the draft, uh, we've had to talk. I don't think if 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 Kevin Dotson survives this roster or survives the draft as as far as not being traded, I think that increases his likelihood of at least sticking through great greater port of the offseason and really potentially on into the 53 as well, too. I just think the draft is probably the most crucial time when it comes to Dotson's uh, future with the Steelers, because that would, to me, seem like the most probable time to do something with him if you're going to deal him away. Once again, if he does survive the draft, however, it, there's obviously I and, and it, look, it could depend on if they do draft a true guard, right? You know, and mm-hmm. they have they have looked at a few of these guys here, but uh, uh, I don't think Kevin Dotson would be out the door two weeks later if he was not uh, dealt, you know, uh, during the draft. You get into a lot grayer category there with guys like Montrevious Adams and Gunnar Olszewski because of a if they had higher salaries, then 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 you could you know, increase the probability in it, but we're not talking uh, about either of these guys costing all that much. Now, if you want to look, could the draft impact their, 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 their probability of making the 53 man roster later this summer? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, I mean, I don't know what you think about Gunnar Olszewski overall, but it seems like a lot of things have got to go in his favor from where I sit right now for him to be on the 53. Yeah, he's probably outside looking in. I mean, the receiver room is not incredibly deep right now. We'll see how things look post-draft. You know, you think one's going to get drafted. There's going to be some undrafted for Asians undoubtedly brought in, and that's going to certainly muddy up the roster spot. I I just don't know what the role is for this guy. I mean, unless he's going to try to go back to being a return man, which is why he was signed in the first place last year and, of course, lost that job pretty early into 2022. If he's not going to be that, then there really is not a role for him. Right. And as far as Montrevious Adams goes, we're already talking about a defensive line room that's not overly deep. Now, could that change during a couple of weeks via the draft? It's possible. And, you know, they obviously signed uh, Braden Fajoko and and all like that. But even Fajoko's signing, I don't think is immediately detrimental to Adams' immediate future. Right. Those guys should both be able to stay and be carried through camp and, you know, go from there. People want to know why, why are you going to build a list like this and not put Kendrick Green on it? Well, A, uh, Kendrick Green, I, it, 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 at least in my mind, and I'm sure yours as well, too, it feels like a foregone conclusion that Kendrick Green's not going to make uh, the, uh, the, the 53-man roster this year, first and foremost. Second, He's still on a rookie contract, so that is it. That salary is not cumbersome at all uh, here. So to think to to think that Kendrick Green would be out the door immediately after the draft draft is over. I mean, if you're going to cut him, you'd cut him by now. I I mm-hmm. think uh, there. So uh, it, it, there's multiple reasons why Kendrick Green's not on this list, but none of it's related to us 
thinking that he has a chance to make the 53-man roster. See, see, see what I'm saying there? I mean, to, to me, why put a guy that's obviously not going to make the 53-man roster on, on this list unless you thought unequivocally that he was going to be cut mm-hmm. 48 hours after the draft? Yeah, this is a list of veterans who are making some sort of money that would save this team a bit of bit of money if they were released, not for rookie contract guys. So to me, Green didn't even really like qualify for the spirit of the article. All right, what about your four Easter eggs on the roster? Did you want yeah, to cover that real quick? Uh, just real quick, little Easter theme article, and obviously these are all kind of dart throws. These are just maybe some some hidden hidden names on the roster who might have a path to make it if things fall correctly. I really think Dan Chisena, um could be one of those guys, considering Miles Boykin has not been re-signed. He could be after the draft, not ruling that out. But Chisena has that Boykin feel of a guy that's a good gunner, coverage guy, not going to offer much on special teams. Not even the blocker that Boykin. Um, is and was, but I think he's a guy is that number five, number six has a chance to make it because he's going to bring that coverage and special teams value. Duke Dawson, a cornerback pedigree guy, former second round pick. He's played in the slot before, talked about the issues his team has at slot cornerback. Who's going to be that guy with Cam Sutton gone, Millette being a rundown guy. You know, Dawson has not played much football recently, but he's got some experience and he may get a shot this summer. Uh, Marjorie Harper, um, you know, who's a long press corner, size, speed, athleticism. He's played special teams. Some embraces that again, kind of a long shot here, but if Witherspoon were to get cut, that may open up some space there for Harper. And then even Ryan McCollum at center, because there is no backup center right now. He's got a bit of NFL, uh, of NFL experience and this team likely to add, but you know, McCollum's a guy that you don't want to totally forget about when it comes to those backup eighth, ninth offensive linemen on this roster. All right. I like it. All right, Dave, let's get to some reader emails and close out today's show. All right, this is from Chris Warren. Dave and Alex, Mr. Kazora opened up an old wound during last Wednesday's podcast talking about the Steelers letting Mike Hilton walk without having a plan to address the position. He says, my fear is that the team will gain, will again prioritize other needs above Nickelback such as wide receiver and edge depth. As a Notre Dame football fan, I am wondering if you have or might be willing to take a look at Tariq Bracey. Uh, he is flying under the radar, have not gotten it, uh, after having not gotten an invite to the combine. He's undersized at 5'10", 185 pounds, but the guy is physical and very similar to Mike Hilton in a number of ways. I know you all are extremely busy, but uh, and this guy will likely be an undrafted free agent, but please keep him in mind. Uh, okay, well, uh, we w- we we will, and may- maybe that is a guy that ends up as an undrafted free agent. There, I have not watched any of Bracy out of Notre Dame. Yeah, I haven't either. I'm just pulling up his uh, his bio now, and I'll certainly you know take all those guys under consideration. Six tackles for loss last year with a pick, a forced fumble. Five-year guy at Notre Dame. Okay, that sounds interesting. We'll check what, him out. Uh, do we have pro day stuff on him? Uh, I can try to pull up here really quickly if I can. If the if I have an article that will give me the numbers. Sometimes there's a bit of a lag in terms of getting those numbers posted on the sites that I use. Let me Does see. Does he have an R R A S or anything? Or I don't think so. But according to Draft Scout, he ran a four six six at five ten a buck eighty two. That's not a great start. Other numbers were better. Thirty eight and a half inch vertical. Ten three broad. Just showing some explosiveness, not that long speed, that kind of traditional corner, uh, slot corner type role. Um, I'll, I'll check them out. Okay. 
Uh, thank you for that email, Chris. Uh, let's see here. Derek uh, Demi writes in, I really enjoyed the roundtable podcast. Looking forward to the next one. Wanted to get your thoughts on picking at 17. To me, it seems to be a bit awkward of a position in the draft for Pittsburgh this year based on team need and talent available. He says, by pick 17, it is likely that top talent at positions of need for the Steelers will be gone. Names like Paris Johnson, Christian Gonzalez, Broderick Jones, and Devin Witherspoon, he says. And then he says there is a chance that Porter Jr. could still be there at 17, but not likely. Once those top guys are off the board, the next group of players that fit the needs of the Steelers are not projected to come off the board until later in round one or early in round two. Guys like Dewan Jones, Darnell Wright, Brian Brzee, Brian Branch, and many other of the other cornerbacks and linebackers. He says, even you, Dave, has said many of these guys I like a lot better at 32 than 17. He's not wrong there. Uh, it feels like, and, and that's me saying he's not wrong about me saying that, not that he's saying that that's not wrong. Uh, it feels like they need to hope someone falls or they will be reaching for someone if they stay at pick 17. He wants our thoughts on that. He says, trading back in this draft looks really attractive to me this year. Thanks as always, fellas. I'll hang up and listen to your answer. Hey, the thing about, once again, the, uh, while I personally, because I do in, uh, 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 look, you go back to that walk the mock that Alex did uh several weeks ago uh kind of got him in a precarious position there didn't it alex and oh yeah uh you fast forward all these weeks since you since you did that and being as there's i mean look it's easy to to, to connect the dots to joey porter jr uh, of anyone right now i feel uh when it comes to 17 overall but what if porter's off the board you know, uh, what if, you know, the top tackles are off the board here? What if Christian Gonzalez and Witherspoon, you know, are, 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 are off the board here? Uh, it, it could they get into a position where it does feel like whoever, if they did stay at 17, that, that instantly the, the analyzing of that's going to be, well, that's a guy they probably could have gotten at 32. Probably. I think Pittsburgh's in a really unique situation. A, I think just picking 17 overall is kind of a tough spot. It's literally the middle spot of the draft, essentially. Um, and then also when you have that 32nd pick, you know, you're trying to justify, is he a guy worth at 17 at the, or 32? If you like him at 32, do you like him enough at 17? There's not a lot of separation there, but it's still first round versus second round headline name of your class versus not the headline name of your class. And so um, it's kind of a fine line to walk. And so it's a good question. And you do wonder about, you know, is Pittsburgh going to get stuck? I think so far this, this draft cycle has been, and will be much harder to predict and project what this team will do at 17 than it has been in the first round for the last three, four, you know, plus seasons. Um, I think to the point about trading down, does that increase those odds? You know, I understand that case. I would argue the other side and say, does it argue the case to go up and go get one of those top tier guys Instead, knowing that they may not be there at 17, but I think it's a really interesting spot Pittsburgh's in right now. Is there any, and look, it's not like you just push a button either to get these trades done. And, sure, and, 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 uh, if it, if it's not looking appetizing to you at 17, what makes it appetizing <laughs> to, to another team, right? Yeah. And, but unless you're giving them capital that, you know, they can get some depth right. in the second round and, you know, something like that may be the, may be the, uh, the, the reason. Is there any one player that you feel good about 
being on the board at 17 that has you excited about potentially being the 17th pick of the Steelers? In terms of guys, I really. Were you just saying, oh, yeah, you know. (laughs) I'm the Kool-Aid man. Um, Oh, yeah. That's Randy. (laughs) Randy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if there is that guy. I think I have struggled to find that name that I really, you know, faithfully think will be there at 17 that I really, really like. And I would like that's the guy really wanted 17. I don't know if there is that name for me right now. At least I have to think about it some more, but it's harder to find that guy. I, I agree. And uh, once again, uh, I, I don't know if it's going to happen. And, and very rarely do I have strong thoughts either way about trading up or trading down when it comes to the Steelers, especially in, in, in the first round. But I really have uh, found myself a lot of times thinking, man, I, I sure hope this team can manage to trade down a couple spots from 17. Let me, let me flip it, though. And you talked about who wants to come down to 17. Who's going to want to come up to 17 sure. if there isn't that guy there? I, it's not, I don't there's not know. going to be a quarterback there and, and a receiver, you know, tackle. I mean, those kinds of things. I'm not quite sure. So I think it goes I, I, I agree. And, and that's a great pushback to it. Yeah, you're, you're wishing to move down. Well, uh, what makes you think any team's going to want to come up? I, I agree you know, yeah. with, with that. So we'll see. I, I think it's a really interesting spot that Omar Khan is in for his first draft. Taylor Carpenter writes in, Dave and Alex, your excellent draft roundtable discussion last week got me thinking about the Steelers' draft room and how Omar Khan, Art Rooney II, and Mike Tomlin together make the decision decision on what player to draft. He says, I know many other franchises take more of a one-person general manager approach to selecting players, unlike the Steelers who appear to use more of a three-headed approach. He says, do you think the Steelers having so many cooks in the draft kitchen is a good or bad approach compared to having just one person primarily calling the shots. He says, it kind of makes me wonder if having three people making draft decisions like the Steelers do, do it would lend itself to not following the draft board as much as one shot caller approach because Mike Tomlin really likes this guy or Art Rooney really thinks they need a certain position in this round, et cetera, et cetera. What are your thoughts? Do you think it's common practice for an owner to be so involved in draft selections? Taylor in Athens, Ohio. Taylor, uh, my first reaction to, to reading your email would be, we don't know exactly what happens in that draft room. It's it's fun to speculate on the outside and based on this report and that report, but do we really know that there's not one person that pulls the trigger on this? Well, we know that there are three decision makers involved, GM, head coach, and owner. This team has said that over the years. But and how's how convers- it weighted? Well, sure. I mean, obviously, I understand that. And I think I think Art Rooney has more of an influence in terms of first round picks, general direction of the team than people think. Maybe less so in terms of uh, particular players, but in terms of overall, if he wants the run game improved, Najee Harris gets drafted, like those types of things. But I, I, I'll take Pittsburgh at their word that it is a consensus thing and it's not a Jerry Jones, Dallas, you know, or Jim Mercer. They can kind of wildly swing how this thing will go. I think having more people reduces the, the chances of somebody going off board because it is more of a group thing. Consensus this was built by a group. We're going to stay with it. There are times even in Pittsburgh where they have not followed their trap board to the letter. Um, Jason worlds over Sean Lee is a great example of that from years ago. That was a Tomlin type pick. Um, but I, I think 
I'm, I'm losing my train of thought here. Um, well, well, look, 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 here's uh, the ahead. thing. You, you, you're building the draft board, right? And all that yes. gets worked out uh, way ahead of the draft. You know, in yes. fact, uh, uh, Omar Khan, I imagine, is going to be meeting the media here pretty soon. Uh, probably him. I, I don't know if it's going to be him and Tomlin or not. I, I don't know. But uh, uh, he will meet the media soon and, and talk about how uh, we're in the final stages of putting our draft board together, yada, yada. Andy Weidel's playing a part in that, yada, yada. Uh, I would like to hope to think that the way you have that draft board built is that if this player's gone, if these top four players are gone or these top 10 or 12 or however many is on your your list of players there, that you're saying, okay, if these if 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 these 11 are gone, and 12 is on the board there, that's the guy we're picking. And it doesn't come down to, well, you know, we talked about, uh, ooh, what, what do you think, you know, it becomes a fantasy draft situation, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, where, where uh, well, I, you know, where people start lobbying and banging, banging the table uh, type, type situation there. I would like to think that, 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 that that's the way it goes. And if it doesn't, then why the hell do you even have a draft board set up in there? So I would like to think that they are indeed trusting their board and it, it and, and it gets to the point where Omar, where Omar Khan's about saying, uh, uh, write up the card for this player. And then slowly turning to the side to look at, uh, Art Rooney II, second, make sure he's nodding or, or, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, just un, unimaginable stuff that we've never seen because we're not in the room. You know what I'm saying? That, sure. that, that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, my, I guess what I'm saying, Taylor, is my other pushback would be is why the hell do you even have a draft board if you're not going to follow it, uh, especially in the first round? I get that. And I think certainly you want the draft board as really solid structure that you're leaning on as your primary driver. But there's got to be other considerations, too, in terms of position and depth of a draft class. And those things have to be, I think, factored into your as draft the board. draft goes. But even in the first round, I think, has those considerations. Yeah, Bobby, wouldn't that consideration be figured out in the setting of the board? Well, if you set your board based off of talent and not based off of depth of classes, then. Well, they always tell us they don't draft off of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, need, <sure>. but ha- <laughs> even though, <laughs> even though that's do. probably, that's not true. You know? Yeah. They, they don't draft off of it. How do they set their board though? Do they set right. their board off. I mean, you know, and, and I think well, some has point, a what system. I'm getting at some point the, the these room conversations of the three head headed monster have to be solved at hopefully ahead of the draft. Largely, yeah. But I think even as you're getting on the clock and names come off, I mean, you're always talking. There's always a conversation with trade offers and what boards look like. And I mean, it's never I don't think you sit there in silence and, you know, your your turns on the clock and you just, you know, solemnly walk up and take the top name off of the board and write the card down. I don't know if that's how their process is. I mean, it's hard to say. Then why have a numbered board? Well, I think it, it it provides a good baseline structure. You don't want to have just chaos, but I don't, again, I think Pittsburgh has shown in the past, they've not always taken the literal top player on their board. I mean, do we really believe that Artie Burns was truly the top player on their board when they took him way back when? God, I hope not. I hope not too. I think that was, you know, position. It, it, again, it's it, to me, it's always where need and value intersect at the highest point is how they end up actually operating. But yeah, I think the draft board certainly creates structure. It's certainly the driver but are there going to be times where they maybe stray from that a little bit? Not that they're going to pick the 20th player down on their board because of the need, but if it's two players that are really, really close, 
you're going to probably take the guy that's, that's the more position in need or doesn't have quite the strong draft class behind him um, in terms of that group. I think those things are always uh, in consideration. Write that question down. We're going to hit Dick LeBeau up for this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would imagine. I mean, Dick's been in in in, in enough uh, of of the Steelers draft rooms during the draft, right? He's not out on the golf course. I would certainly hope he'd be involved with those right. types of things. So, yeah. Uh, make sure we ask a question related to that when we have Dick LeBeau on. Yeah, and for those wondering, um, we're hopefully, and I think we will at some point soon, have an interview with Dick LeBeau, which is like, like a bucket list item for, I think, both of us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Good question, uh, uh, Taylor. Uh, let's see here. Uh, one last one from Tito, right? Saying, as of today, I'd be surprised that the Steelers' first three picks wasn't a combo of tackle, interior offensive line, defensive tackle, defensive end, or cornerback. Would you would you bet on that or the field? So he's saying he'd be surprised that the Steelers' first three picks weren't a combination of tackle, interior offensive line, defensive tackle, defensive end, cornerback. I look, I could foresee a wide receiver somehow getting wedged in there. I think two of the three will definitely come out of those position groups. But would you bet your house that all three three the first three picks were not some sort of combination of those five positions. Yeah. Receivers kind of the wild card. I just think about what's, what's going to be the surprise of the draft. The draft never goes exactly how we think and expect it's going to occur. Even if we feel like we're pretty dialed in on the team needs overall, there's always something that comes up, especially for a first year GM in, in con and maybe some new systems and new philosophies under him. Weidel, the new scouting staff, Sheldon white, Mark Sadowski, you know, new, promotions, Dan Colbert, Dave Pettit, et cetera. So you just you just don't know what you don't know. And so you just wonder about, you know, that that tight end or that, you know, edge rusher or safety or whatever the case is that may may come up and surprise you a little bit. All right. One last one I lied to you. Gary Veneer writes in. Uh, and I know Gary's been a uh a uh listener and reader for a long time. You're absolutely correct regarding state Provincial income tax obligations of both athletes and entertainers. This goes back to the signing mm-hmm. bonus uh, question that we had the other day. They are subject to to the individual tax obligations based upon the location of the services rendered. This would also apply to individuals who perform consulting services. On the other hand, what is not well known is that according to tax principles, teams can and do depreciate their assets, including the salaries of players who are considered assets. Also, one nagging question I have been meaning to ask, why is spiking the ball by quarterbacks not considered intentional grounding? He (laughs) says, I can't wait to walk the dog tomorrow and listen to the draft extravaganza you will post on Friday, this past Friday, April the 7th. Best sports cast podcast ever. You guys need to win an award. And the Grammy for best Steelers podcast goes to. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, I, I don't <laughs> think we have to worry about that. Uh, but I could see Alex up there making an acceptance speech. There. Oh, God, no. No, thank uh, you. Let me put you up in front of a bunch of people, Dave, and let you talk. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I, I could do it. I, I'd ramble, but I, I could do <laughs> it. I'd go over. They'd be playing, playing the music. Yeah, yeah <laughs> playing, playing the music to get me off there. But uh, uh, all right. Uh, appreciate the uh, input there, Gary. Uh, why? Is- how do you depreciate an asset of a player? How, how does that? I don't know. How do you come up I, with that? I, I don't know. 
you know, I have, I have had, I said this the other day, I've had an accountant for a long, 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 long time. So I don't have to think, and you would think as, as much as I like the numbers and the cap and all like that, oh man, I dread tax time and I don't even have to do my own taxes and I dread tax time. So, uh, you know, it just, I, I guess it's all what it's relative to, but, uh, why is spiking the ball by quarterbacks not considered intentional grounding? Uh, I guess give, because the intention is to spike the ball. To give the nerdy answer, there is a carve out in the rule book that allows for spiking of the football. Um, I, I don't know the exact language, but there's basically something that says, you know, intentional grounding is this, except for in this spike case that is allowed. So I, I there's actually is a provision. Being, I, and I think a he knows cute, yeah. that, right. I think he's yeah. just uh, uh, kind of having some fun. Here. But Get for it. those wondering that there is a carve out. Uh, Gary, thanks for the email there. All right, uh, Alex, we're about an hour and a half in here, so perfect time to wrap this up. Anything else to add? Any late-breaking news or anything coming in? Uh, no breaking news. I'll have my uh, next-to-last mock draft go up tomorrow on the site, and so we can recap that for Wednesday and hopefully have some more what-they-look-for studies and some other – I got some some draft study plans coming up here. There's All one right. I'm really interested to do more research in about trades that I really want to kind of sink my teeth into before uh, draft day comes. All right. You can read all that on SteelersDepot.com. And uh, let's see here. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Steeders Depot. Follow Alex on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, the Terrible Podcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause, go to SteedersDepot.com. Hit the donate button up right navigational bar. Also, if you like an ad free version of the site, go to SteedersDepot.com. Hit the ad free button up right navigational bar. We move servers. Uh, we have upgraded servers and hopefully there are, uh, they seem to be running well on our end and, you know, we're doing, thank you for, for the support over the years that have allowed us to, uh, reach another, another level here when it comes to this. And we, we are constantly trying to make the site better. We got some things happening this week behind the scenes to try to, to make, make things run even better ahead of the draft. We wanted to get this done weeks ahead of the draft for obvious reasons to make sure we handle the crush of the draft traffic. So if the site seems to be loading a little bit faster, which hopefully it is for you, there's a reason behind it. So uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for making that all possible. And in the meantime, as always, thanks for listening to the Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex. Are you tired of hiding your smile? Maybe it's time to get some help from G4 by Goldpaw. Their talented technicians specialize in creating brand new permanent teeth in just 24 hours. With as few as four titanium implants, you can enjoy a fully customized bridge for your upper and or lower set of teeth. You can have peace of mind knowing that the G4's experienced lab technicians have designed more than 15,000 new smiles. You can have a new smile that looks, feels, and functions just like natural teeth. Patients from all over the world travel to G4 to get their permanent smiles in just 24 hours and change their lives forever. Booking an appointment has never been easier. Simply visit yourteeth.com today and schedule your appointment with G4 by Golpa. Mention this podcast when you book to save $1,000. So what are you waiting for? Get ready to show off your new confident smile with G4 by Golpa. Visit yourteeth.com today and start your journey to a new permanent smile in just 24 hours. G4 by Golpa. Powered by technology. 
inspired by patience.